It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 50 of Sports Day Plus. 6.30, it is the first of a two-segment chat with comedian Natasha Legero, who's headlining at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. And a mere seconds, I'm breaking down this weekend's NFL playoff games for you DGens with Sammy P. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Sam Paniatovich is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, a contributor to FoxSports.com, host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. He can be found on Twitter at SPShoot and heard on this show for a couple of segments every Friday during football season. And Sam joins me now to talk NFL games and more. Sam, thank you as always for the time. How are you doing today? Doing well. The only regret I have, and I don't have many this season, I regret that I did not take Rams plus three instead of Rams money line. But, dude, if you get 425 yards of offense and outgame the opponent by almost 100, you win that game more times than not, right? I mean, the Rams went up and down the field. They just couldn't convert touchdowns. They kicked three field goals inside the red zone. Lose by a point. I mean, clearly I'm over it, Trey. Clearly, <laughs> but I thought that was the, I thought that was the right bet at plus one forty five. Well, it's it's such an interesting uh, philosophy, I guess, or philosophical discussion about when a team is is uh, favored or when they are an underdog by so many points. But that cl- that points total is close to zero. So it's like, when do you just take the line versus go with the money line? And I felt like you and a lot of people had a pretty good pulse on that one. As you said, L.A. outplayed Detroit. I am rooting for the Lions this year. It felt like the Lions should have lost that game, but they tightened up defensively when they absolutely had to and then made enough plays on offense as well. It's just uh, it's, it's the nature of the beast at times, right? Right, and it you know it's funny because we've been really, really hot going back to December 1st, and it takes a one-point loss to kind of – throw you off your game a bit not that I'm off my game but it's funny that people afterwards well you should have taken the points everybody's an expert when the game is over (laughs) and that just it always makes me laugh well you should have taken plus three well I'm a math guy and I didn't want to lay minus 120 to take three when it was basically not the same bet but it was a similar bet to take the money line at plus 140 in my world I'm saving 65 cents for a result that I thought was either Rams win the game or Lions win big. And mm. it lands one, which NFL games rarely land. But at the end of the day, I like the Rams offense. And the Rams offense did basically everything it had to do except for convert inside the red zone. And and we move on. But my buddy John Murray from the Westgate Superbook always says this. Kicking is for losers. And if you're kicking field goals in playoff games, you're going to lose. And that's the likelihood of the reality. You can't kick three field goals inside the red zone and expect to win. No, it looks we could get into a much deeper discussion on this because Brandon Staley is the uh, the other extreme, right, where he refuses to kick field goals at, in any given situation. I think that helped to ultimately cost him his job as well. But you're right, when you're getting into the red zone, and this was a problem for Texas football all season too, by the way. If you were getting into the red zone and you're not converting touchdowns more than 50% of the time, you're in trouble against other good competition. You can get away with that this year against, let's say, an NFC South opponent 
or uh, one of the worst opponents in the league, let's say the, the Washington Commanders or the New York Giants. You're not going to get away with that against a Detroit Lions team that was fired up to try and win their first playoff game in more than 30 years. So my second rule after kicking is for losers, which, again, I got from John Murray in Vegas. That's number one. Number two is if you give up 40 points, you won't win either. So I'm looking at the Browns and the Cowboys. Yeah, boy, that was ugly, and it's amusing to me because you and I did talk about this last week. I did not remember it, uh, but the tape was uh, was checked, and you did, in fact, talk about Bill Belichick possibly replacing Mike McCarthy as the Cowboys' head football coach if they lost to Green Bay, much less if they get embarrassed like they did. But here we go. Drunk Grandpa still has the keys to the car, so he makes decisions on where that car is headed, and it looks like uh, Mike McCarthy is going to be a passenger for uh, this Cowboys fan base for at least one more season. After next year, they're probably going to be looking for a new head coach and a new quarterback, too, because Dak's contract runs out, and assuming that they continue to not succeed in the postseason, which why should we think any differently at this point with either of those guys, then you're just delaying the inevitable right now. I thought it was wild that in an offseason in terms of, of coaching, you have Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, Mike Vrabel, all essentially available, and you want to run it back with a moron. I mean, look, it is what it is. Uh, Jerry Jones has the power to do it. But Mike McCarthy is, what, 11-10 and 10 in the playoffs? Yep. They had that one great run in the Super Bowl in Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers was playing out of his mind. But even that year, I want to say the Packers were the wild card team, and they just got hot at the right time and everything went their way. This guy has taken good teams and not actualized their talent. And you got – look, buddy – you got three straight seasons of 12 and five with Mike McCarthy in the regular season. You lost in the wild card and you lost in the divisional round. And this week or this season, you lose in the first weekend again. So I don't know that he's going to take them where they need to go, but Hey, we can't tell Jerry Jones what to do. He's a grown man and uh, he's somebody that's very, very stubborn. So this is really not that much of a surprise. I mean, he kept Jason Garrett too long at the same time. Does Bill really want Jerry up in his business? Maybe not. No. And it, that's why it seemed like Vrabel is going to be a bad fit there, too. Vrabel has that alpha mentality. That's not going to work with Jerry Jones. He needs pushovers. He needs guys that he can control from the owner's box. He's got one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's clear. He's got one right now. And uh, I guess sometimes that's more important than uh, than postseason success. And I, and I don't mean to throw more salt into the wound, I pulled up the Cowboys football reference page because I couldn't remember the last time they played in an NFC championship game. 1995. That's right. Considering that you not only have your finger on the pulse of Boston sports, but also what's happening nationally, where do you think Belichick ends up? Is it Atlanta, considering that he's gone through a couple of different interviews there now? I mean, they're the favorite. You can bet this at a couple spots. Atlanta Falcons minus 110. So you got to lay 110 to win 100. Um, we saw some reports on Thursday that he's basically going to take the job. And, you know, Seth Wickersham is a, an ESPN writer who, uh, who wrote a book about the Patriots, for yeah. that matter. And, and he was saying that Bill wanted to go to a team that had promise but didn't really succeed, didn't really thrive. And that's Atlanta to a T. I mean, that's a team that, you know, has a top five offensive line 
was a top five running defense in terms of stopping the run. All of the talent on the offensive side of the ball, you think about how it's been scattered the last three, four years. They've got two running backs in Bajan Robinson and Tyler Algier. You've got the uh, joystick guy in Cordero Patterson. Drake London's your number one receiver. Kyle Pitts is a decent tight end. You just don't have two things, a quarterback and a head coach. Well, if Bill goes there, that alleviates a lot of the coaching stuff because he's got a bunch of talent on both sides of the ball. And then the question is, if he does go to Atlanta, who's the quarterback? There's a lot of smoke about Russell Wilson. I just – I don't know, man. He, he, he seems like a guy that they can only do so many things. I mean, what made Russ great was his versatility and his adaptability. You know, when he was in Seattle, it was the broken play that made Russell Wilson. He, he's an okay pocket guy, but his ability to boogie about the cabin when the seatbelt light was off was what made him great, and he just can't do that anymore. So I, I think the best fit and, and best – we can use air quotes around best – I think if Bill can get down there and find a way to acquire a guy like Kirk Cousins, that'd be perfect. Not that Kirk is a Hall of Famer, not that Kirk is worlds better than than Russell Wilson, but if you look at what Kirk was doing last year before the Achilles injury, he was putting up numbers that were going to break all of his career highs. I mean, he he was completing 70% of his passes. That scenario makes a lot of sense. He is Sam Paniotovich, a.k.a. Sammy P., lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributor to FoxSports.com, host the Chicken Dinner Podcast, can be found on Twitter at SP Shoot and heard on this very show during football season on Fridays, as he is right now. Coming up, we will look at the NFL playoff games this weekend here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back for one more segment with Sam Paniotovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributes to FoxSports.com, hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast, can be found on Twitter at SP Shoot, and heard on this radio show every Friday during football season for a couple of segments. All right, Sam, let's get to the matchups this NFL Divisional Round weekend, starting with a team in this state. Nope, not the Cowboys. They suck. They are going to miss the NFC Championship round once again. Hell, they're not even making the Divisional Round. Uh, But it is the Texans traveling to Baltimore to face the one-seed Ravens on the AFC side of things. Uh, just looking at this line right now, it looks as if the Ravens are still heavy favorites. Nobody should be surprised by that. Nine and a half point favorites. The total is 43 and a half. How does this game look to you right now, even though this isn't one of your money picks this week? It's a weather game. So we start with the forecast. I mean, the low on Saturday in Baltimore is 20 degrees. And then you also have some wind in the forecast and 16 miles an hour, 18 miles an hour. So that's not ideal for a passing attack, number one. That sort of hinders what the Texans want to do because Houston has not been able to really run the ball with that much success this year. They're a passing offense. And I think both teams on Saturday, Trey, both underdogs, are in tough spots. You know, perceptionally, they both scored 40-plus points. Houston – at home scores 45, Green Bay scores 48, and now they're catching almost 10. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of points. Ooh, shiny toy. But the reality is this round, historically, the divisional round in the NFL playoffs, is what I call the round of correction. 
There's a reason Baltimore is laying nine and a half. There's a reason San Francisco is laying nine and a half. These are two of the best teams in football. And I, I just, I'm concerned for people that are running to the window. And this happens a lot in the playoffs. You know, we had Houston last week on the show, took two and a half. A lot of people were betting Cleveland, but the people that bet Cleveland are now like, Oh wow, Houston's really good. And they're going to bet Houston. And my concern is that they're a little late to the party. The weather makes it, complex again i don't have a bet in this game but the lack of the lack of good passing conditions is going to hurt houston um i i think baltimore has the talent obviously they're very good defensively against the pass their weakness is against the run so this is a bad matchup for houston on top of the 20 degree weather and the 16 mile an hour wind I kind of lean to the under at 43 and a half, but there's not a bet for me. And I I would be very cautious with, with not only Houston, but green Bay uh, later on on Saturday. In the Ravens case. And I guess in the 49ers case too. And I think we talked about this last week. Like the other thing that makes these, these two matchups weird is how many weeks off the most important guys for both teams have been off. They didn't play the last week of the regular season. They obviously get the first round by last week, so you don't know how much rust you're going to be dealing with with either of these two teams. But let's get to 49ers-Packers. As you mentioned, it is a 9.5-point line right now. The total is 50.5, and and you have a couple different things that are amongst your money picks this week, starting with San Francisco at 9.5. Why do you like San Francisco to win by 10-plus? So I sort of alluded to this in the last breakdown if you will I, I try not to overreact and really you know we have our power ratings we make our numbers and we really rely on those numbers and look with power ratings you move them up and down but you don't overreact like I upgraded the Packers about a point point and a half from last week's performance that that's a good knock up from one game to move a team a point point and a half is good that said Trey I still have the game Niners minus 12 so my true number, San Francisco at home against Green Bay, is 12. But what happens is you can't make it 12 because then everybody's going to bet the 12 because the Packers just, you know, scored 48 and, and won the game handily against uh, Dallas. So the number, you know, hasn't really hit 10 yet, and that's cool because I want to lay anything under 10. The last time we saw San Francisco with this much rest and recovery – was when they had hit the bye at the best time. They were 5-3. and three. They had three straight losses. Debo was banged up. Trent Williams was banged up. And then they hit the bye and shot out of said bye like a freaking cannonball. Went into Jacksonville, blasted the Jags 34-3. to hmm. Now, just because it happened then doesn't mean it's going to happen now. But this team actually is great with time to prepare. And it's an extra two weeks, really, for Kyle Shanahan to get ready and get everybody in order. He's had, you know, a really good attack in spots like this over his career. And and him and Matt LaFleur are both very good in the first half with their schemes and their play calling. These offenses also have a lot of firepower. I mean, look at San Francisco, for crying out loud. You got McCaffrey in the backfield. Debo can line up anywhere. You got Kittle and Ayuk. You, you have so much talent, a pretty good offensive line. The Packers can throw the ball, that's for sure. We'll see if they can do it for four quarters. But this is a game at halftime, I think it's like 20 to 10 or 21 to 7. So I like the first half over, 24 and a half. Hmm. Um, just at the half, we need, you know, we need over 24 and a half points. And then I, I think San Francisco is going to pull away. I mean, their offense is so efficient. I mean, they have one of the most efficient offenses. Going back to the 
the beginning of the 2000 season, the Niners are one of the most efficient offenses in the last 23 years. So assuming they do what they're supposed to do and they're moving the ball around and spreading the love and sharing the sugar, they're going to be tough to stop. I think Green Bay is going to score, but not enough. I mean, this could be 35-17 San Francisco. I like the Niners in this spot. I'm not sure that they go all the way, win the Super Bowl, but in this spot against the public darling Packers, it's a good bet to lay San Francisco, in my opinion. The Sunday games have the better games line-wise, and I would argue the best game of the weekend with Chiefs-Bills. We'll get to that one in just a second. Uh, One of your money picks does involve Tampa at Detroit, but it's not the 6.5-point spread or the 49.5 total. It is Mike Evans and a yardage total going over 68.5. Man, that seems like easy money to me, but uh, clearly you see things that way too. Uh, Why do you like Mike Evans in this spot, and ultimately what do you think happens in this game involving... Tampa and those uh, fighting, compassionate meathead Dan Campbells. <laughs> they tried to give it away, brother, last week. They tried. They tried their best to give it away, especially when Campbell on second and eight is throwing the ball in the final minute. I'm like, God, unbelievable. Such a moron. But they, they get the first down and they win the game. So eventually he's going to hit that bad card at the table, the blackjack table, and he's going to go on tilt. It's going to happen. We all know it. Uh, that, that also said, I will take seven if I can get it. If it gets to seven, the line in this game by Saturday or Sunday, I will take plus seven. But there, there's no reason to take the dog now. You can just wait it out. You don't want to take six and a half. Wait and, wait and see if it gets to seven. Mm. Uh, but if you just go to X right now, or Twitter, as my older brother calls it, right? Uh, <laughs> you just Google or uh, Twitter Mike Evans drop. And and look at like all the bill like I'm done with Mike Evans. Mike Evans sucks. Mike Evans. Bleh, bleh, bleh. He dropped a 48 yard touchdown last week, and there's an appetite to not bet Mike Evans now, which is cool with me because I didn't bet him last week. And it also Trey it cheapens his line. I mean, we were talking about a receiving prop last week of like 73 and a half, 74 and a half. Well, now it's 68 and a half. And he's facing a secondary that's just as bad as Phillies. Yep. The Detroit secondary is awful. Puka Nakua had almost 200 yards last week. So it's a great matchup for Evans. He's a threat, literally, to fly over this line on three or four catches. He's a home run hitter. He catches that ball eight times out of ten. I don't care that he had a drop last week. In fact, it makes me like it even more because all these people are going to look at Mike Evans and go, ah, he burned me last week. Last week's over. Last week's over. Go over 68 and a half. He might catch a 40-yard bomb in the first quarter, and then you only need 29 more yards. Let's just buy the dip on Evans. We take advantage of a market that people aren't as willing to bet as they were last week, and let's hope, Trey, that Baker Mayfield throws him the damn ball. Throw it to him nine or ten times. He's going to get over 68 and a half. The uh, last game of the weekend is Chiefs at Bills. Buffalo a three-point favorite. Total is 45.5. I have no good feel on this game, Sam. And it's not amongst your money picks this week. So ultimately, you're staying away from it too as of right now. But uh, how do you like this matchup one way or the other? So I do think Buffalo is, is getting a little disrespected in this spot. The issue with Buffalo is that we don't know how serious some of these defensive injuries are. I mean, they had three starters come out of the game last week. And, look, they're not all pro guys, but they're still starters. And if you go back to the first game of the year and look at the depth chart in week one, look at the depth chart today, Buffalo's down four defensive starters. 
are they again like so now we're having the conversation like are we picking against buffalo because they're down four starters or are we just picking against buffalo because kansas city's been amazing at this point uh, of the postseason i mean kansas city's been in five straight afc championship games kansas city is like the 90s yankees and i kind of almost hate their guts now right it was cool early when mahomes was winning (laughs) but now it's like i hate these guys so all that said, I, I feel like the under is probably the better bet of all of the bets, side and total. Uh, Kenny White is, a, is an odds maker in Vegas. He made the total 41. He's at like 23-17-ish. Um, this total is 45.5. I mean, these are not explosive offenses, especially not in Kansas City. And Buffalo is really just the Josh Allen show. He makes everything happen. They don't, they don't really have a lot of great weapons around him. Yeah, James Cook has been good. Diggs is always a threat, but this is not like an elite Bills offense. So lean under in the game. I hope Buffalo wins because I've got some AFC and Super Bowl futures on them. We'll see what happens there. Um, but betting against Kansas City, man, it's very scary. He's he's the new Brady. And what I mean by that is when you have your money against this guy in the playoffs, you're never out of the woods until the clock strikes zero. So I hope Buffalo wins. Uh, I do think the game stays under, but – this will be a game that, honestly, man, like I'll be, I'll be completely clear with you. It could go either way, and that's the reality. He is Sam Paniotovich, a.k.a. Sammy P., lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston and contributor to FoxSports.com, host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Find him on Twitter at SPShoot. Hear him on this radio show for a couple of segments during football season on Fridays. Sam, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Best of luck with thanks this weekend. Thanks, buddy. Go Niners. Coming up, I'm spending a couple of segments with stand-up comedian Natasha Legero. She is in town headlining at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Natasha Legero is a longtime stand-up comedian. You can find her work at NatashaLegero.com. Listen to her podcast. She co-hosts it with her husband, Moshe Kasher. It's called The Endless Honeymoon. Also check out a book that came out a couple of years ago that she wrote, The World Deserves My Children. And if you're in town this weekend, Natasha is headlining at Cap City Comedy Club. Two shows tonight, two shows tomorrow night. Go to CapCityComedy.com for info and to snag the tickets that do remain. Natasha, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm great. I hope you can't tell that I'm in my bathroom. <laughs> we couldn't, but I'm glad you uh, gave a big reveal for the people. Maybe uh, folks watching on video right now will get a toilet shot. Before there we go. We uh, we didn't even have to wait to the end. We got the toilet shot yeah. right there. Uh, I would ask if you've performed in Austin before, but I know you've performed in Austin before. Uh, you actually performed the first of three nights worth of shows at the New Cap City last night in the Domain. And what a beautiful location that is, Natasha. The acoustics of the room are really cool. They've got a little balcony area, a little upstairs area to go along with the uh, the standard comedy club seating downstairs as well. How did night one go for you here in town? It was so fun. I loved it. And it's funny because the last time I was here in Austin, I was scheduled to do Moon Tower. I did one show. It was amazing. I had a kind of a bad cough. <laughs> Then, of course, I tested for COVID. I had COVID. I gave Nikki Glazer COVID because she was in the green room. Then I had to cancel the rest of my shows, and I was so bummed. 
And so now uh, I'm back in Austin. I checked into the hotel and they gave me the exact same room that I had COVID in. <laughs> so I'm kind of reliving my COVID nightmare. Well, glad that you uh, are not coughing and that you're not having to cancel any shows as of yet. And I don't know if you're going to be sticking around in town for uh, an extended period because I know uh, your husband, Moshe, is he's doing a uh, book stop. Actually, uh, he's doing a uh, book tour event with Duncan Trestle on the date that his new book comes out, which is uh, really cool. Congrats to him on that. Just how uh, instrumental were you in the book writing process for him, considering that you had a very successful book came out within the last couple of years? I actually wrote most of Moshe's book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Moshe is an amazing writer, and that's so exciting that my ex-boyfriend, Duncan, is going to be interviewing my current husband, Moshe, about his book. So uh, I'm excited for that. I'm a huge fan of Duncan's as well as Moshe's. Um, I think Duncan's podcast is like the only podcast I religiously listen to. And, uh, yeah, but I didn't know that Moshe was doing that. He doesn't tell me his schedule. Is that right? We just have these two things that are uh, that close to one another in Austin. Okay, well, that's how it Wait, goes. is it next week? It is the following Tuesday. So I, I didn't know if you guys were in town together and you were going to do Kill Tony or something on a Monday. And then uh, just No, we out. have separate lives. Okay, well, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> and then someone has to watch the kid. Yeah. You know, she goes to school. That's what sucks too, because, you know, when she was a baby and not quite in school and a toddler, we could like take her on the road and let her sleep in the bathrooms. And, you know, we would just kind of just have her around in the green room. And now she can like understand what we're saying on stage. <laughs> so we don't necessarily want her backstage. And she's at school and it's public school. So public school, like you really, every time you take them out of school, you get like five phone calls and you know, it's like you need to have an excuse and it goes on their permanent record. So it's not ideal to be taking them out of school either. So, you know, someone's got to watch her. Yeah, it's interesting times to be raising kids. You have an almost six-year-old, I believe. I've got a nine and seven-year-old at home. They are thankfully in school right now. Uh, but uh, we're in very weird times considering what we all went through with COVID a few years ago and uh, just everybody emerging from that and hopefully not too broken in the process. What do you see as the biggest challenge with being a parent in 2024, Natasha? Um, hmm. I mean, there's a lot. I, well, I mean, honestly, it's, I guess, the phones, because yeah. I try really hard to not model that I'm, you know, attached to this phone. Like there's just this like thing at the end of my hand that is more interesting and compelling than my child. <laughs> And, you know, just really trying to have some, some, uh, you know, discipline around that. And, uh, and then also like I had to get off of Instagram because I felt like every time I got on Instagram, there was like a millennial parent influencer telling me how to parent and what to say. And, you know, every time I would log on, it's like, don't say, don't say, be careful to your kid. Don't say, Good, don't don't say good job to your kid. Tell me, works really hard. If you do this, you're gonna be fucking them up. And it's like every single time I would go on there, there would be someone telling me what to do and say to my kid, and I was just feeling so inadequate. And I mean, these people don't know what they're 
it's doing either. And everything that people are suggesting, all these doctor, mom influencers, it all goes against my instincts. And so I just started to feel and nothing I was doing was good enough or right. So I think just like, for me, the biggest challenge is trying to just listen to my own instincts. And I know I'm a good enough parent and you know, not get so swayed by everyone around you telling you what to do. But it's also hard too, like what to say to your kid. Like my daughter, my, my friend drove her somewhere who has a kid the same age. And my friend told me like, full disclosure, your child did ask me if I have hair on my vagina. And, (laughs) and I'm like, well, uh, I mean, I was so embarrassed, but you know, it's like, usually she's five. You know, usually you're four when you ask something like that. I don't know what the, I, I don't know what her issue is with, uh, with she's kind of obsessed, you know, like she really wants to know. And I don't want to like scold her for that. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how to handle it, but you know, it's just like all those little things that come up, how to, how to talk to them, what to say. Like we were in the grocery store aisle the other day and she like wanted to get fruit loops. And I was like, no, you can't get fruit loops. You know, and she's like, why, why? And they make, you know, of course, they make all the sugar cereals on the lowest rack so the kids can like look at them and try to put them in the in the basket. And then she kept crying about it. And then finally I go, because General Mills causes cancer. (laughs) (laughs) And then she goes, but mom, why would they sell it if it causes cancer? And I'm like, well, that's one of the big issues that we're trying to think about in life. I don't know. And then it's like, why am I telling this to a five-year-old? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm probably scarring her in some way. So, you know, it's just like, especially being a comedian, just like, what do you say to them that's not going to have some long lasting trauma effect? You just touched on the that- two things that I think are the biggest battles. It's the screen time thing and making sure that they're able to be present and actually have human to human interactions with other people. And then also the food thing, you go anywhere Every kid's menu is like chicken fingers, quesadilla, pepperoni pizza, or cheese pizza, just complete crap. And so I want to teach them. How about your kid has like a third of your salmon? It's just, uh, I don't really do kids menus because of that. And I've tried to make my kids palate as, uh, you know, developed as possible, much to my detriment. Like now she wants caviar. (laughs) Oh, wow. It will be public so she's still a toddler so she'd be like crying and she's like caviar like can you please keep your voice down we're a black lives matter rally uh humiliating (laughs) so you know there's a there's it's a challenge but you know we didn't come into this world to not have challenges and for everything to be really easy and i think if what's behind it is love and you're able to like you know fight some of the habitual screen time stuff, you know, because it's like, I don't need to keep like refreshing my screen while my daughter is like doing her seven minutes of breakfast in the morning. It's like, it's not that long. No, it's not. And they also pick up on what it is that you're doing too, to where even if you are saying something, actions speak louder than words as the old cliche goes. So you are setting that example for them. And that's an uphill battle for all of us at times, unfortunately, is not staring at this little box that uh, has been created and designed or the apps have been designed to uh, to hook us 
as much as humanly possible. So you want to build that foundation. It's also hard, back to your point on uh, on challenging ourselves and this being a difficult world, finding ways to properly challenge them because every generation conceivably has it easier than the previous generation. Finding ways to put them through certain difficulties to where they do have to learn lessons and grow and fail and uh, all those good things as well. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully our kids generation, I don't know what we're calling them the last generation. (laughs) Hopefully those kids will think our phone addictions are whack and and they feel sorry for us. And we'll be telling them stories about how, you know, we used to use our phones to order food at a place that was right down the street and (laughs) they would just deliver it to us uh, instead of us going there. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, because that's, so, you know, I'm from my generation, like Generation X, I guess you would call it, like our whole thing was like, you know, how do you get all the information, all the different sides, and then what do I think about that side? You know, and that's what was like cool. And, you know, it, just to like be informed and then come up with your own opinion. And now it's like, Everyone just wants to, no one reads headline. no one reads anything but the headline. And then they just want to like identify with a side and they don't even want to hear your side of it. And it's just bizarre. So I, you know, every, hopefully the, the new generation, you know, I, I don't know, what are they called? Like people will never afford houses, whatever the youngest generation, I think they'll react to whatever's happening with the current generation so it'll be interesting but they're definitely not going to be the same you stand-up comedian natasha legero performing at cap city comedy club this weekend headlining two shows tonight two shows tomorrow night you can go to capcitycomedy.com to snag tickets and for more info coming up one more segment with natasha on the other side it's sports day plus with trey ellie it's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back for one more segment with stand-up comedian Natasha Leggero. She is headlining at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. Two shows tonight, two shows tomorrow night. Go to capcitycomedy.com to try and snag those tickets that do remain. Natasha, we're just talking about how the younger generation is failing. Millennials and Gen Z have uh, gotten into a bad habit of letting themselves be defined by their emotions versus recognizing their emotions, which is obviously a healthy thing, and responding in kind to where you are being defined by your reaction to adversity, right? I feel like, I think Gen Alpha is what our kids' generation is considered now, will trend back towards the generation that you and I come from, where we do try to take all sides in and and actually uh, really give thought into how we feel about something versus just being duped into... Uh, a belief or ideology based on headlines that we're reading on the internet, Twitter, you know, Instagram, elsewhere. Yeah, and how can how can people not be duped? It's like yeah, there's, yeah. you know, 30-second TikToks that show, you know, certain numbers and certain facts, quote facts and headlines, but it's like you obviously can't understand nuance, <laughs> which a lot of the really big issues contain. Um, just from headlines and 30 second clips, like you have to read books, you have to hear all sides, you have to weigh and consider. So Natasha, I am, uh, I've really enjoyed your podcast, the endless honeymoon that you do, uh, 
with your husband, Moshe. I have to come to your defense, though, based on a recent episode. I know that the letter of the law says that humans are animals, but the question that was asked on New Year's Eve about favorite animals, the supposed happiness expert, what a miserable person uh, that person was to say humans are their favorite animals. You are right there. Even if technically humans are animals, it's ridiculous to say humans are your favorite animals. No kid in their right mind, and we have to look at kids for the uh, for this uh, state of ideal happiness, is going to say their favorite animal is a human when you ask your five-year-old or my seven- and nine-year-old what their favorite animal is. Okay, that's a very good point. So just to give people a little bit of setup, on New Year's Eve, I was seated at a dinner party next to a woman who said she was the foremost happiness expert. And then when we asked her what, who's the, what's the happiest animal, she said, humans in dementia. And I told Moshe, well, that's a bad answer. That's not an animal. And he roasted me saying humans are animals. And, you know, thank you for that. I mean, I get that they're uh, on a technicality they are, but you as a as a, you know, expert. Answering the question, it does kind of seem like you're getting out of the question (laughs) by saying humans in dementia are the happiest animals. So what is what is the happiest animal? I don't know. I'm not a happiness expert. I'm assuming it's my dog because, you know, I just like (laughs) pet it all day and give it treats, something like that. Although, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it has to be dogs. I mean, dogs essentially have us humans as their indentured servants. I don't know what you call us, but we're at their beck and call. We feed them. We clean up after them. We let them sleep around the house all day. Of course, I guess if you're a, the dog of a homeless person, your life is a little bit different. But as far as domesticated creatures go, it's, it's dogs bar none. Cats are way too uh, conscious. Cat, cats are way too intuitive with things to uh, to, to think that uh, they are that they're happy. I mean, cats. You don't see cats with homeless people for a reason. Cats will see a homeless guy and they'll be like, hey, "There's no way that you're going to take better care of me than I can." Dogs are uh, much to people's chagrin, loyal to the next hand that feeds it. But if you do feed that creature, it's completely satisfied. Well, it makes me really happy that you said that because I was so embarrassed by that. And Moshe was like, I I was going to put up a clip and he's like, you are going to get roasted so hard for saying that humans aren't animals. So I don't think you should put that up. (laughs) Well, of course, without context, it's going to sound bad. But when you take the entire context of the conversation, then, then it becomes a little bit of a different story. Honey, we don't do context anymore. No one cares. Yeah. Back to the original point, I guess, right? <laughs> so uh, Moshe's book, yeah, it, it really, uh, not not to get too back into the book, but it's a fascinating concept where it's him taking six different ideas that have really shaped who he is as a person. And uh, it really got me thinking about some of the things that shaped me as a person too. Is there a most important element or aspect of the life that you've lived that shaped who you are right now, Natasha? Um, you know, I think that for me, like when I, I I grew up in Illinois and basically, you know, I'd work in a grocery store and I just remember staring at the clock, like, when is my life going to start? Like in high school, like I just hated, hated it there. And, 
then when I finally, you know, was, I went to college, I got like a small scholarship at like an Illinois State University, which was even worse than Rockford, because it was like all corn for like three hours. You just drive from Rockford through corn for eight hours. And then I remember we really wanted to go to New York. And my mom was like, don't do it. Don't do it. It's so scary. Like, it'll be so bad. Please don't do it. And I was really scared. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And it was like the beginning of my life. And I guess it's not like my lesson isn't don't listen to your mom, but it's more listen to yourself, you know? And once you start seeing the benefits like of listening to yourself, that it actually is a positive thing, it starts to give you more confidence in yourself. And, you know, those little confidences start to add up, especially if you come from a place where you don't have a lot of mentors or guidance and you're kind of like steering your ship on your own because you've got dreams, but you don't really know anyone else who's ever done something like this. So, you know, you really have to listen to yourself. And I think it's just those those little things strung together can start to really give you the confidence that you need to have any kind of life you want. You know, it's funny that moving from Illinois to New York did that to you because moving to Chicago and funny enough, working for a grocery store did that for me. I was between <laughs> radio things and I was working for the Whole Foods in Lincoln Park in uh, the northern part of downtown. And it was gathering carts in the dead of winter during a blizzard outside where I was like, I don't know what my life is going to hold, but this is all going to be worth it at some point. Thankfully, I didn't freeze to death in that moment. Thankfully, it, uh, I guess, has worked out because soon after that, I met my now wife, got a couple of kids, love our lives in Chicago. So it's a great point that you're making there. Sometimes you have to take that leap into the great unknown, even if you are being told to not do it or exercise caution by those who are supposed to be your biggest supporters. And you can't fault your mom. She's just trying to look yeah. out for you. But ultimately, uh, sh she did not know. Only you knew for sure what needed to happen in that moment. And it worked out. Totally. And I, I remember another pivotal thing that happened to me even before that is I remember I was in seventh grade and I was sitting on the bus listening to the radio on my Walkman. And this girl next to me was like, what are you listening to? And I was like, the radio. And she she was like, you don't have to listen to the radio, you know? She's like, listen to this. And then she gave me a Smith tape. And I was like, from that point on, I like just followed this other path of like listening to more alternative offerings than what was on the radio. And it really made me think like when people don't have musical taste or good taste in music or just like whatever everybody else likes, it's just they didn't have a cool friend to tee them off. Or sometimes it's an older sibling. I just felt really lucky that I was able to have that girl sit next to me and show me the way away from liking Taylor Swift at 40. <laughs> Who are you currently jamming to? You know, I I, I was listening to, uh, right this morning, I mean, you're going to laugh, but I was listening to the soundtrack to Nomadland just because I think the piano is so pretty. But, um, mm. you know, I, I'm, I love all genres of music. I just, you know, whatever's like most popular pop music is usually not 
what I'm going to be able to get with. Yeah, I've got more esoteric musical sensibilities too. You and I are close in age, so uh, we were in that 90s uh, era of alternative rock where it got really good and then it, it got strange to bad in the 2000s, I guess. Yeah, alternative rock really isn't a thing anymore, I guess. But, you know, I try to get into anything, you know, but I do think that we are at an interesting time in the world where somehow we're in this chokehold where it's like, if you don't like a certain artist, you don't like women. Like you used to be able to have your own opinion. Like, yeah, you know, uh, Madonna, I get that it's just not for me. You know, and people, you weren't like forced to go live in a cave. So this is just uh, an interesting time from a, a lot of different perspectives. <laughs> Well, I feel like that's why stand-up comedy is not only so important, why why we're seeing it enter a sort of golden era with a lot of new people going to the art form is because people crave that. People crave the ability to think critically about issues, but have somebody stand on to stage and tell jokes where you're taking a topic and you're, you're trying to poke holes on both sides of that issue to where hopefully at some point everybody meets in the middle, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, my degree from college is in theater criticism. So it's like huh. I have been thinking critically my whole life. So, you know, it, it, comedy was kind of a natural fit for me. And I still do it, even though it's not popular and people still love it and listen to it. So, you know, I, I think it's our job as comedians to say the things that everyone else is afraid to say and to offer viewpoints that maybe aren't the norm. And uh, I'll be doing that all week at Cap City Comedy Club. That's right. Two shows tonight, two shows tomorrow night. You can go to capcitycomedy.com to snag the tickets that remain. Natasha, thank you so much for the time today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Best of luck with thanks. You too. Thanks so much. Great questions. All right, another week is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back on Monday at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie.